0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for each person here. Thank you again, Father, for the rain. Thank you, Father, for those that are listening to the message right now online or those that will listen to it later. But I pray that you will feed us through your word today. Help us to receive, each one of us, exactly what you have us to hear and receive. And may our hearts just rejoice in you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we saw how Jesus taught that he was greater than Moses by using the miracle and sign of the serpent on the pole and his ascending and descending when he came to earth from heaven, dying on the cross, and then resurrecting and ascending back, back to heaven. So as Jewish people would put their all their stock in Moses and how great he is in his relationship with God, Jesus is saying, here's the proof, I am God who has descended and ascended, okay? I am God in the midst of you. I'm greater than Moses. Mm -hmm. And so that's a great tool to witness to Jewish people that don't know Jesus as their Savior. Mm -hmm. And so we need to remember that. This week, I want us to look at some other miracles that further demonstrate he was greater than Moses and the long-awaited messianic king. So let's read a few verses in John 6, 1 through 6, as we look at this miracle and examine it today. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, When Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus always knew what he was doing (laughs) and why, right? So it's interesting to me that the text actually notes that, right? That that had to be re-emphasized. But it's to reemphasize that there's a test that's going to be done, a test of faith. And so Jesus had performed the miracle of the healing of the lame man at the sheep gate before this in Jerusalem. And as a result, the Jews decided to kill him for healing a man on the Sabbath. Too wrapped up in the law than the real important things, right? Not saying that the law is not important, but Jesus said, hey, I'm going to heal this person because... Our love and compassion is for him more than the law. And so as he healed the man on the Sabbath, and Jesus also proclaimed that he was God. So, in the eyes of the people that are listening, Jewish rabbis and all of those leaders, this was blasphemy. Nobody had the right to say they were God. Now, in all fairness, if one of us came into church and said, I was God, what would you do? <laughs> Back up, (laughs) right? Who do you think you are? I mean, I think we'd fall into the same category, but Jesus is really trying to say, look, you know, I want you to realize that I am God. The Father sent me, and it is time, and I have come, and I want to wake you up to that. So Jesus left Jerusalem with his disciples, and about 10,000 follow him. Now, why do I say 10,000? Because as you read the text, it says 5,000 because they're only counting men. At that time, when they take censuses, a census, they only would count the men, not the women and children. Okay, so it's probably more than 10,000 people followed him and went 81 miles by foot, right, until they got to Beseda. So that's about a three or four day journey, 20 miles a day roughly. Okay, that's a lot. I mean, if I worked, walked 20 miles one day, that'd pretty well do me in, right? Yeah, right, right? When I was young, for the March of Dimes, we walked a mile, you know, and all this raising the funds, and we hit our 20-mile mark, and it was like, wow, yay, but I was done. And so about 10,000 followed Jesus about 81 miles north near Beseda, And it was a desolate sparsely populated area so now Jesus sees all the people coming towards him so Jesus poses a question to his disciples not because he didn't know what to do but because this was an opportunity to test their faith basically all these Israelites are now in the wilderness area with no food coincidentally near the time of Passover so I want us to stop right there and just understand one thing God always knows what he's doing, why he's doing it, and why things are allowed in our life. Even if we don't agree, even if we don't like it, even if we don't understand. God is God, he's sovereign, and he has his rule, and he loves us. And we need to remember that. We don't see the whole picture. So let's jump back to the past and look at a similar event in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, God knew what was in their heart, but he wanted them to see what was in their heart. Okay? So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, wow, and fed you with with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, but he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Spiritual life, eternal life, a walk with Jesus, keeping in step and spirit with him, having fellowship with God all the time, that is a great life. We may have a journey ahead of us that's hard, But the great life is walking with Jesus. It really is. Having that relationship, right? So, every word proceeds from the mouth of God. God tested the Israelites in the wilderness. They had no bread and no way to get it. No McDonald's, no Carl's Jr.'s, no Denny's, no Cafe 101. Nothing near that they could go to. Just some dinky little spot that are probably not Shooting down taco trucks, but not much out there. Just a few small spots that couldn't supply the, the needs of 10,000 or so people to feed them, right? Through these two similar situations, God tested Israel and taught them and us an important point. So, like Israel and the disciples, we need to depend on God for spiritual and physical nourishment, which comes through his word and provision. You think about Christians that have been suffering for the Lord, imprisoned for the Lord, gone through such tragedy because they're faithful to what God would have them to do. Do you suppose that what kept them going was a relationship with God not necessarily the physical part? You've seen people that are just skin and bone skeletons in prison. We've seen that in history. So if a, if a Christian is persecuted because of that, they're, 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 they're relying on their relationship with Jesus to carry them through not just every day, but every moment of every minute of every day. And there's life in that. Even if they die, that relationship continues on. And so they're focused that way. That test is, is important to rely on the Lord through all circumstances, knowing that he can supply what we need, spiritually or physically or both. Last week we learned about the Hebrew word nasa. When I was studying this, I'm going, NASA, NASA, you know, liftoff, you know, you know, and I'm thinking the space shuttle and all that stuff, because the word NASA is translated lifted up. That's what the word means. I'm like, oh, that's where they really got the term NASA. Or maybe NASA is an acronym, I'm not sure. It's a, okay. So, but it, it fit both ways. The word here in Deuteronomy, this word here in Deuteronomy is for, for test, is the same word as NASA. Isn't it strange? You would think a test would be um, bogging a person down. This is a test. A test is. How many of you love tests in school? Oh, look at all the hands. Yeah, right. Oh, got got three three of them. All those those were the brainiacs that love to let people know. Anyways, <laughs> so. The 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 test for me is uh, is like oh man got to get past this test, but really God is using the test to lift lift us up, and in reality even the tests in college and wherever you're at are there to make us better. Because we pass it, we're going to be better off. So testing lifts lifts us up because when we pass the test we go to the next spiritual level of maturity. I'm going to pick on Lauren a little bit. I remember when she was younger and she had a test coming and how nervous you were, right? You loved those tests, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, no. But getting past them, it was, a, it was quite a reward, quite a blessing. And so um, we, can, we, we need to maybe change the format of our thinking when we're going under testing because testing, generally speaking, is not something that we cherish but if we know through the testing god is going to bring something good as a result of it it can help us to to endure it so testing lifts us up because when we pass the test we go to the next spiritual level of maturity jesus was testing or lifting up the disciples to help mature them in their faith And that's what God has done in the past. I've seen people that have walked off the path of following Jesus because the test was too hard. And they said, I don't like it. And they walk away. I'm not going to do this test, Lord. Sorry. I'm mad at you for this test. we got to be humble before God. we got to say, God, I'm yours. You love me. I'm your child. You always have your best interest in me for your purpose and for your glory. So I'm going to trust you, even if that's. And especially if that's the only and last thing that I can do. Actually, that's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. So let's go back to the miracle itself in John 6, verses 7 through 14. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves. I wonder if they were British. There is a lad here who had five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, "Take the pe- Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down and numbered about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise a fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments of that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up. Fill 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus said, did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. See, Jesus didn't like waste either. So that picture of me eating the crumbs at Herb's, Herb's kitchen, scraping off the cheese and eating it, Um, I was doing my godly duty. (laughs) There's no way to obtain food for that mass of people. There was no way. And the small towns were like Hurons all over with one taco taco truck. Wasn't going to cut it. Okay? They didn't have the quantity that was needed. And Philip and Andrew both tried to answer Jesus' question. They really did want to... Honor the Lord. Answer his question. And they all they all could all they could find was two hundred denari, which was which was seven months' worth of salary. Okay, on the internet it goes from ten dollars to forty thousand dollars. Nobody knows the right answer of what they're saying. Uh, so, so they could find well, all they could find was two hundred denarii or ten dollars or. More accurately, we can, there's a great consistency on the internet, seven months worth of salary, okay? And a boy with five loaves and two fish. These these details are here in scripture for a reason, okay? The numbers and items hold meaning in Hebrew writings. What What do five and two add up to? Seven. Seven in scripture is an important number right? It's, it, it's For example, going back to the manna in the wilderness miracle, what happened on the sixth day each week? The manna came down in double portion so the Israelites could rest and worship on the seventh day. The people had to have faith and trust God to provide the seventh day. You hear that? People had to rest and trust God to provide for that seventh day. And what did faith do for the Israelites and what can it do for us? You know, the, the five loaves and two fish not only are seven, seven is completion, a symbol of, of perfection, and uh, Hebrew new number study, uh, five times two equals ten, which is the number of divine order. It was God's divine order, divine plan to present this test to the disciples and show them what he was going to provide through five, five fish and two loaves of bread, Right? or five loaves and two fish. So faith moves us from working seven days a week to having the seventh day for rest and worship. I want you to think about that just for a moment. How I've heard it over the years, and maybe I don't have time for church on Sunday because it's the only day I have to rest. But you know what? Sure, we get our chores, catch up, all that stuff, But if we ask God to organize our schedule and prioritize what needs to be done, here make sure we have time to come to church to worship him. That's not propaganda from the pastor. That's just a reality. I'm following you. God wants us to be in church and to worship and to praise him and to serve him and to love him. And so God will work for us and provide what we need to be able to relax and rest and worship God on Sunday the Israelites moved from God, from, by God from seven days a week of enslavement in Egypt to six days of work and one day of rest and worship. That was a nice change for them. We are enslaved to work and chores seven days a week and have no time for regular rest and worship. Again, give our needs to God and trust him to take care of it and to organize our time. And the reality is, if our heart really wants to and we're seeking God to please Him, He'll provide what we need to be here. Right? I'll get off the soapbox. I mean, after all, I'm just a pastor. <laughs> okay? So, the Israelites moved again and they gained that extra day of worship and rest. God wants to provide for us to have that freedom in time of worship. There's a little lighter note there. Is there a sense of freedom when you know that you can come to church and worship God? We certainly have a freedom in this country to do so. And we should be always thankful for that and guarding that. And I think we should become more appreciative of that as well. The bread is another important detail mentioned. The provision of the bread first happened with Moses in the wilderness. Jesus miraculously multiplying the bread Pointed to the fact that Jesus was greater than Moses. So in this this miracle that we're studying, we're looking at the fact that Jesus continues on to reveal that he's greater than Moses. Moses went to God, talked on the mount, but people are hungry. There's no food. There's no water. God says, do this. Or provide the manna. Or provide the water. You just trust me. He did, and God did. Right? But Jesus provided it directly. Why? Because he's God he's our creator and we can trust our creator our God Jesus just as much as the Israelites could or anybody for that matter throughout history in our own lives today nothing is impossible with God so we've just as we learned last week with Moses in comparison to Jesus being the only one who ever had ascended and descended from heaven the bread also pointed to Jesus' messianic kingship now we're going to kind of switch switch modes here focus but if you hang in there i hope by the end of the message you grab hold of what i'm trying to share with you you see the fall in the garden of eden had brought a specific curse to man look at this in genesis 319 in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread i sweat when i work Okay, that's just, I, yeah, I'm not going to get into grossities of how much I sweat. So, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. This was, this was part of the curse of falling in sin. Well, so what would be the opposite of that before falling in sin? It is, you didn't have to work for your bread, the grain. God said, I'm not saying loaves of bread wrapped in plastic were hanging on trees. I'm saying that, that He didn't have to work the fields to cultivate the product or the crop in order to have the fruit to make the bread. It was just provided for. That's what God wants. He wants to just provide. He said, Well, I'm not saying go home and quit your jobs. Trying to make a point here of the change that took place. Sin caused man to work hard to make bread to eat. When Jesus did the multiplication of bread of, of the bread miracle, he was showing them that he came to restore what Adam and Eve lost through sin in the garden. Now, I received Christ, I follow Christ, and I still have to work. And God isn't saying that we're called to be lazy. And God isn't saying that we sit back and the food's just going to come on the, on the truck to us. But He is saying what He's going to be providing for us now and for the future. In Revelation 19, 6 9, it says, And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings. That's the power, reflecting the power of God, saying, Hallelujah, or praise the Lord. "...for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready." You see the switch I'm talking about? Now all of a sudden we're talking about the marriage Lamb. The marriage of the Lamb. Right? But why are we going there? Well, let's continue. In verse 8, "...and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen," that's the church, "...clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints." Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. When we go to heaven, we're going to enjoy the marriage feast of the Lamb, a great celebration of being united all believers together with Christ in heaven. It's kind of like the wedding night type thing. But, But all the food is supplied. All the needs, we didn't have to work for it. It's all there. This miracle with the bread points to the messianic kingdom. When Jesus is talking about, I'm the bread of life, and I supply all this bread, I supply what you need, he's talking about the messianic kingdom when we, when we won't have to work to make our own bread again. I don't see us cooking in our kitchens, running the Taco Bell, hitting the taco trucks, or whatever, in eternity. No indication of that in heaven. You might think that's silly, but, again, God's trying to do something. Before Adam and Eve fell in sin, it was all provided. And now he's bringing us back to that. Because the curse was you're going to have to work hard and sweat buckets to get what I've already provided for you. So I'm going to remove that, so I'm going to give you what what I intend for you to have, That you don't have to work for so you can focus on other things and move forward and we need to understand that as we rely on god and trust god and entrust god with the things that are our needs physically and spiritually when we earnestly give those over to god it does free us up to focus more on him does it not we can get so wrapped up in the need and the problem and all that stuff But if we can learn to let, give it to God and let go of it and let go of it and keep letting go of it, it'll free us up for the things that God wants us to do. And I know that the people who witnessed the miracle that day when Jesus did this understood this symbolic message. They say, really? Well, let's read John 6, 14 through 15. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself. Why did they want to make Jesus king? Man, if this guy can feed this multitude of people, and there's no food resources in line, and he can just pass a a basket of fish and a basket of bread of just five loaves and two fish and they just keep multiplying, never run out, and they have excess, man, as a people, we don't have to worry about that. And as a ruler, he can just provide that. And Jesus said, not yet. Not yet. But he will. Isn't that cool? It's a different picture in this this miracle that he did. The people sought to make Jesus king after his miraculous provision of bread. Earlier, during kids' time, I read about another event that took place not long after this event. John 6.30-35, Jesus proclaimed, I am the bread of life, and all who believe in him will never be hungry spiritually again. There's no excuse for us to be spiritually starved if we're a believer in Jesus. The only reason we're spiritually starved as a true child of God, believer in Jesus, is because we're not eating the bread. We're not taking him in. We're not listening. We're not following. We're not in his word. We're not praying. We are just not in step with him. It's the only reason why we're spiritually starving. But if we want to be spiritually full like that cup that runs over, it can be ours. It's simply a matter of falling deeper in love with Jesus. Following how he leads us, receiving his word, applying his word, living for him, and we can have that fullness. How much do we love Jesus? How much will we cling to him? How much will we... Allow him to be integrated into everything in our life. All the time. How much will it take for us to say, Lord, I feel your closeness and I know you're with me and I know I'm walking in step with you throughout each day. Even when I fall on my face, Lord, you're there to pick me up and I know you're right there. I confess and repent and move on. I am walking in step with you. That's what God wants us to do. But the first important thing is you have to receive the bread. And if there's someone here or someone that hears this message that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, Jesus is the bread of life. And um, you need to receive him as your Savior. And if you are saved, the challenge for all of us I don't know if the Lord will let me say it this way or not. We need to stuff our mouths full of his bread. (laughs) You know? And uh, enjoy him. Be satisfied by him. Overflow in life in him.